Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Saturday, November 26th, and today we are talking Bitcoin mining as part of the Grateful for Bitcoin series. Before we dive into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdown pod. All right, friends. Well, I hope you had a great turkey day for those of you who celebrate Thanksgiving. We're back with another Grateful for Bitcoin, and today we are digging into one of the most critical pieces of Bitcoin infrastructure, which is, of course, mining. Now, some of this discussion is about the big picture around mining right now, specifically why difficulty and hash rate are increasing even as prices go down. But another key part of this conversation is around one of the most interesting and dynamic areas of Bitcoin mining, which is mining with natural gas that would otherwise be flared. My guest is Matt Lostro, the co-founder at Giga Energy, which is one of the innovators in the gas flare mining space. This was a conversation I was super excited to have, and I'm thrilled to welcome Matt Lostro to the show. All right, Matt, welcome to The Breakdown. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. As I was just mentioning to you, I, I was asking a few uh, trusted friends who they thought would be good to come talk and, uh, about Bitcoin and mining, and, and your name came up a bunch, so I'm really excited to have you here. For those who might not be familiar with, with you and, uh, and your work, I would love to just get a little bit of your background and how you got into Bitcoin and how you started this, uh, this particular company that you're working with now. Yeah, so I got into Bitcoin back in 2016, just looking around in the space, stumbled across upon it, fell in love with it instantaneously just because it went very well with my personality. I uh, got into the whole altcoins uh, throughout 2017, and then by 2018, I was a full, full maxi. And uh, by 2019, started the business Giga Energy. Amazing. And so tell us a little bit about Giga. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to try to extract a little bit of a, kind of 101 about the space that you're in. But just for people who don't know, what does Giga do? Yeah, so we extinguish natural gas flares on oil and gas locations through Bitcoin mining uh, with our modular solutions as well as our natural gas generators. For people who aren't familiar with this space, what is the 101 on gas flare mining? How did it come about? How early were you guys relative to others in the space? How mature is it now? You know, because this is something I feel like it um, indexes higher in conversation in some ways. Like, like a lot of people talk about it, but you guys are actually doing it. So for people who haven't spent much time with it, I'd love to just kind of get the background. Yeah. So we were the second guys to do this in Texas back in 2019. What I'm referring to when I talk about a natural gas flare the oil and gas industry is called oil and gas for a reason. When you drill a well, you don't get to decide what comes out of the ground. Both liquids uh, come out of the ground. So the gas is in a gaseous form and the oil is in a liquid form. The oil is extremely power dense and can be trucked off location. The natural gas, however, is not super portable. So it needs to go via a pipeline. Pipelines take time, money, right of ways, political things going on in the climate. And so that becomes much more of an issue. And what happens is these producers want to get to the oil so badly that instead of going after the natural gas and, and getting it to market, they burn it off on location on a large flame or torch on the oil well location. And that allows the pressure to be reduced for them to be able to access the oil. And so that, so basically where, where Bitcoin fits in 
is that it uses that energy that it would otherwise be burned off, right? Exactly. What we do is we go in, we take that natural gas, and we redirect it to one of our generators, and that generator turns into electricity, and we're mining Bitcoin on the actual oil well location. And so what is the actual setup like? You know, this is sort of the geeky specifics, but like, what is the footprint of this thing? What do you have to bring out to the fields for this to actually work? Very small footprint. And keep in mind, right, we're 20 feet away, 40 feet away from the actual wellhead on the location. We then go in and take what would be the equivalent of two shipping containers worth uh, of a footprint. One's an actual 40-foot shipping container, and the other one's a natural gas generator. We pipe the gas to the generator. The generator combusts that natural gas, creating electricity, and then we feed that electricity into one of our gigaboxes. Uh, and then the box starts uh, and hosts the actual computers in a safe, waterproof, uh, and efficient fashion. And you guys started this when you were like sophomores in college, right? That's correct. Like really early. Yeah. Presumably, this has to be done in partnership with whoever owns the rights to that well, right? So, you know, you would imagine it's very traditional companies. Well, one, is that the case? And then two, what were the sort of initial conversations? Were people receptive right away? Did it take a lot of convincing? What was that like initially? Yeah. So we started back in 2019. Now in 2022, you cannot have a conversation about natural gas without someone joking about Bitcoin mining or it being genuinely brought up with old oil and gas. Everyone's heard about it. Back in 2019, basically everyone told us to piss off. Uh, we had to go to the very much like low level EMP producers, uh, which are kind of mom and pop guys in oil and gas, kind of small, approach them. They're open to it. They don't have much to lose uh, and then kind of work our way up. Cool. And so you mentioned that over the course of the, the last three years, obviously there's just sort of been a big change in awareness. What is sort of the state of this now? I mean, how have the number of players changed? Are the big companies thinking about this? It you get whispers of companies doing this stuff, but it's not necessarily sort of broadcast in the same way that other uh, interactions with Bitcoin are. But you know, wh where are things now relative to where they were? What's happened now, we're in an interesting phase because energy is skyrocketing and Bitcoin's down. So all these energy guys out there, they don't really care about Bitcoin. Their uh, beliefs may have been proven that, that Bitcoin's dying, right? Uh, so they're really in the business of saying, hey, if I have excess capacity, I'll sell it off. They don't have any little to no interest of actually getting into the Bitcoin game which makes sense, right? They stay in, in lane of what they're good at doing. Uh, and, and we go in and we help mitigate that methane. Uh, the actual landscape, so, from, so after 2019, right around December 2020 when Bitcoin broke 20K, for whatever reason, natural gas Bitcoin mining like, really caught on. It was like this really massive fad, right? Natural gas was super cheap in the space, and so everyone was flaring it off, getting rid of it. Now, uh, throughout 2021, we saw this kind of meteoric rise of uh, natural gas prices throughout the year culminating over the summer uh, with the whole kind of Russia situation. But now what we're looking at is a lot of people getting out of the space because they're getting double whammy, right? Bitcoin and hash price are going down and then natural gas costs are going up. It sounds like basically the evolution of the industry as relates to the business side of it has been strictly a business consideration, right? So it's like the people who are trying this, it wasn't like they became like Bitcoin true believers or something like that. It was more that like, hey, if, if this is a good business decision, I'll do it. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, there's two sides of it, right? And I'd say the majority are on that kind of like 80, 90% are the one they're saying, hey, this is purely energy arbitrage and we can go out, we can mitigate that methane. And then like the 10% are really doing it because they, they love, love Bitcoin and are looking for a way to get into it. In a weird way, I think that that is strangely more validating to the industry in some ways than it, if it was like call it 50-50, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, purist or whatever. I think it validates the fact that 
hey, I don't even have to care about this thing. It just makes business sense. It fits within the sort of this energy business infrastructure. I mean, obviously, it's it's a little bit harder as things tick down, but I think in terms of the longevity and the the underlying sort of soundness of the idea, it's quite validating. Yeah, I mean, just yesterday I had a call with an old man who has a ranch, heard about Bitcoin mining, knows absolutely nothing about Bitcoin, but was like, I can make money on this, and now he's going out and doing it, and trying to like learn the whole process. Right? That's like very unique, and it's a, it's a different way for people to get into the Bitcoin world. Uh, yeah. Listen, the brilliance of aligning financial incentives to protect the thing. I think people who dig deep into Bitcoin, like that second layer of things that gets people excited in terms of kind of the brilliance of the system. But it's been very cool to see how many different ways in which that's manifest. So, I mean, for you guys, how much of this is, this is just sort of, you know, business arbitrage and you're excited about it versus, you know, you're really passionate about Bitcoin versus this is sort of a, a very different way of coming at, you know, environmental goals from your kind of motivation standpoint and, and what Giga's mission is, how do you guys think about that? So I think it intersects three particular places, right? And, and you touched on all of them. One is this has significant outsized impact on methane emissions that are real out there. And there, there's two sides to those methane emissions, right? There's the climate side of it, which people debate. And then there is the actual pollutant effects, which have like legitimate detriment effects on humans <laughs> and cancerous behaviors. So, so there's the, the environmental side of it, there is the business side of it, where this is a great business opportunity. It's really fun. Uh, we have about 20,000 square feet of manufacturing facilities. We're building like engines with 255 moving parts. Like it's really fun and you're building something of value. Uh, and then of course, uh, you're in the Bitcoin side of things. And so of course, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I fell in love with the space. Uh, I have no doubt in Bitcoin and its meteoric rise over time. And so combining all three of those really made the business a no-brainer uh, for us to continue to grow it out. How have you seen the political discussion, and that could be an environmental discussion or, or any other dimension, change over the time that, that you've been doing this? It's very bipartisan. We've talked to a lot of lawmakers. Um, we're helped sponsoring a, a bill uh, in Texas uh, at the state level, and then we're also helping write like a federal bill. And so it's a no-brainer, right? Like Everyone agrees that flaring is bad or a waste, and we should stop it. And in doing so, there's a lot of things that you can do, right? You can do tax incentives tax breaks on the actual income that you're doing can incentivize people to get out there. Um, you can maybe do credits for like treating types of gas that maybe people don't want to go after to help reduce those emissions. And so uh, it's very bipartisan what we've seen out there. Yeah. Th I mean, this is one of the things that has continued to be, I think, unique about Bitcoin relative to the US government is that it, it just hasn't calcified into hard left-right lines. It, weirdly, even when people try to do that, you know, they kind of try to get ideological with it. There's such sort of countervailing forces. And I think that you're right that this is a great example of why, because it's like anyone who's coming from this at sort of a first principles basis rather than whatever they're thinking about, there's a lot to like here. I guess it's interesting, you know, the critiques that I've seen tend to be hugely ideological from the start in the sense of if your premise is fossil fuels just shouldn't exist at all. And so, you know, anything that helps solve in the short term the issues of you know flaring and, and what it means both on the polluting and the climate side then you're sort of just enabling it to go longer but that's such an ideological position i mean is that what you found in terms of people who are actively opposed to this yeah that's a pretty common one saying hey you're propping up these oil and gas companies to to do what they do and giving them another source of revenue in reality uh, <laughs> the amount of money these guys are making off hydrocarbons on the oil and gas side is like minuscule to any amount of money we would pay them for the actual natural gas. I mean, we pay them little to nothing. They, they don't care about it at all. And, and they're going to flare it one way or another. 
Uh, they just don't want to flare it from an environmental standpoint. So pragmatically looking at it is these things will happen. How can we come in, not necessarily enable them, but, but go in and reduce methane emissions and, and make it a net, net benefit. Want to keep more profits when trading? Get the best possible prices and trade with 50% lower fees on Nexo Pro. The new spot and futures trading platform uses aggregated liquidity of over 3,000 order books collected from multiple sources. Utilizing the complete Nexo suite allows you to earn interest and borrow funds as you wait for the next trade setup. Visit pro.nexo.io. That's pro.nexo.io and sign up today. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. As one of the largest, longest lasting, and most secure exchanges, Kraken continues to set the industry example for transparency and trust. Twice yearly proof of reserves audits verify your assets are backed by real assets. Industry leading security keeps your funds and information safe. And award-winning client engagement teams are available for support 24 seven. Buy crypto instantly with fast, flexible funding options on Kraken. Download the Kraken app on Google Play or the Apple App Store, or visit kraken.com to join. It feels to me like, I don't know if it's fully settled in, but I do believe that it will be a legacy of this year of a little bit more of a return to realism as relates energy politics in the US, right? I mean, just seeing what happened with the the conflict with Russia and Ukraine, seeing sort of like the way that the SPR has been tapped into, it's very clear that maybe there was a world in which we could just talk about sort of renewables, you know, a couple of years ago, but it it doesn't seem like the world we have. Yeah. I mean, energy is a national security issue. There's multiple ways to go about it, right? Through renewables, through hydrocarbons, right? And, And everyone has a different opinion on that. But overall, it's saying, hey, make sure first and foremost, we have energy security and then push push towards the, the independence on that. Yeah. Let's talk a bit, of, maybe a little bit broaden it out to sort of the, the mining industry in general. What, what are you seeing? What's your perception of kind of the state of mining right now? So for those of you who don't know what hash price is, you should look it up. But hash price is basically the computational uh, value of a unit of computing power. We're at an all-time low for hash price. It's, uh, it got down kind of low around this back in like October 2020, but we're back down. We're about, about $50, $55 a, a pet of hash. Um, people are hurting, but this is different because back in 2020, finding a couple million bucks, like you, you couldn't get money out in the space. Now everyone like has access to capital one way or another uh, and, and is getting Bitcoin mining stuff online. And so... It's a very interesting space on that front, and there's still a ton of capital out there that can be deployed. But on the flip side, like people are just getting wrecked that have been in it for at the wrong time, frankly, with the wrong wrong operating experiences. A lot of the discussion is what particular set of combinations has led to exactly where we are right now, and you know, one of the pieces of it that uh, is sort of just the the actual financial structure 
with sort of cheap credit and miners taking on more more debt financing in the last cycle. How much do you think it's that versus some other sort of you know, exogenous factor that just wasn't planned for? So definitely the buying ASICs at $80 a terahash with 18% interest will, will tread into your downfall. So that's, that's one. Two is rising natural gas prices. That has external effects on everyone else. Uh, so there's people in Georgia that got shut down with contracts that were supposedly locked in. Uh, it happened all over the state. And so natural gas affects the, the electricity markets. And so we saw this like super cheap energy costs uh, across the region because of cheap natural gas. And that's going away for, for other reasons. And so people got screwed on that. Um, people have massive amortized uh, payments on their ASICs at super high entry points. And then the most common thing I see when I'm looking at models is people never hit their Bitcoin output assumptions for whatever reason. And so it's really easy to stick it into the model and say, hey, we're going to make XYZ Bitcoin a month. And it may degrade by some amount, but like that no one ever hits that. And so that's just due to operational failures, uh, lack of experience in the space, or inability to get assets online just because of not understanding the, the on-grid um, politics. And so it's a majority of reasons. But I think those kind of three large contributors end up really hampering uh, and, and what we're seeing now. Yeah. Do you have a theory or a thesis for why hash rate continues to spike and grow in because this is i think it's something that again particularly passive observers it's counter to what they would imagine with bitcoin prices going down more hash power is coming online yeah so uh hash rate is sticky hash rate follows price price rose massively over the past two years uh it took time for capital to come in build infrastructure out uh and now we're seeing people in the middle east get in at very large scale and then as, as well as you're seeing like every other person getting millions of dollars and turning stuff online, that adds up pretty quick. And so I'm not surprised, right? You're still able to stay profitable. You're able to auto-tune these computers down so that their efficiency increases. And so you can maybe an S19 may have an eight cent break even, but it can go up to a 12 cent break even. Uh, and you're just trying to stay cash flow positive, even if you have a negative ROI. And all those things are happening. I'm not surprised that hash rate is continuing to rise. That's what we should, uh, should plan for. And there's a, a lot more people out there with cheaper power than what one would assume. You actually kind of hinted at something that I'm interested in your take on too, which is the global dynamics of this. So obviously you work and operate inside the US. A lot of what we were just talking about is kind of US context, but you mentioned the Middle East coming in. How have you seen changes in the global distribution of mining over the last, I don't know, whatever the right interval is, six months, 12 months? Yeah. So obviously there's massive concentration in the US starting to maybe kind of trickle out as people are realizing that the energy sources are soaked up, the, the low hanging fruit over here. Uh, and, and people are going elsewhere. But there, there's also very large players in the space that are slowly getting into it. It takes time for them to get into it to, to put in uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. But eventually, I, inevitably, I think all nation states are going to be doing it and trickling in little by little. Interesting. Is there any region that you are particularly keeping an eye on or, or think is distinctly interesting or relevant compared to you know, where it was in the past? I still think the U.S. is very interesting just because there's, you mm -hmm. have private property rights. That's really cool. And that's very unique around the world. Uh, and so having security and people building out these massive assets and capital being comfortable enough to flow into the space, I think there's still a lot of opportunity to grow in the US. It just takes time to build out gigawatts of infrastructure. And I don't think like most Bitcoiners aren't electrical engineers, uh, nor am I, but like understanding the breadth of like what goes into like requiring these massive pieces of infrastructure and then also demanding low cost, it takes time. So I, I think the US is still a very interesting play. But naturally, over time, right, things will happen and uh, distribution will happen uh, and, and people start to, to leave the U.S. In, in somewhat to an extent. 
It's interesting. Do you think that to some extent what we're seeing and kind of how you described it a little bit, you basically described a lag from new infrastructure came online to follow price. And now that new infrastructure exists and people aren't just sort of turning it off on a dime, it's still going. Do you think that we're actually seeing kind of a shift to a more long duration view from you know miners where it's just going to be acyclical isn't right because it's obviously you know kind of contextualized in the cycle, but you're not going to see people just turn things off and try to go. It's, you're going to kind of see these long-term generalized increases in infrastructure being deployed against this network. And in periods of low price, it's going to look like this a little bit. I mean, is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, yeah. And that's what we saw last, last run in 2020, right? Bitcoin rose up to 17K, 20K. Everyone and their mother got into it. All of 2018, all of 2019, people were building out infrastructure. Um, we rose from like 10 exahashes to like 150 exahash. The difference is now we're reaching the fringes of like global infrastructure. Uh, and like there's so many externalities. I mean, you're, you're having semiconductor manufacturing, like where like TSMC is going to be like saying like you can't produce more chips because Apple needs to produce chips. Like I think if we see like another big rip, that's going to be it on the infrastructure side for like a, a very long while uh, until people build out like more infrastructure. And like if Bitcoin goes to like 100, 150K in the next couple of years, there's just going to be a massive amount of capital pouring into the space. And quite literally, the, the, the regions will not be able to handle it. So we're recording this on Wednesday, November 16th. And one of the stories that I'm featuring in, uh, in today's regular episode is about Apple moving chip production to the US or trying to, which has obviously been a huge point of conversation over the last you know, two years, really, since the beginning of COVID. Uh, and I feel like obviously there's implications for the U.S. domestic Bitcoin mining industry with that as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that that'll happen eventually too. But it's the nice thing is that the chips that we're using ASICs like aren't are nowhere near. Do we need it that size? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's just like so much other stuff that goes. It's no longer about Bitcoin mining and like finding cheap stuff. It's like, hey, how do we like redo like global manufacturing and supply chains? And and we haven't quite hit that yet, but it's getting there. What are other frontiers of Bitcoin mining that you're at least keeping an eye on or paying attention to? I, I think the natural gas side of things still has a lot of time to evolve, like dramatically. That's the one part. It's cyclical in nature because of how it works with the energy side of things. But I think there's still a massive amount of development. There's not that many people and it's still at large scale, right? You probably count on the, my two hands, like the majority of people out there. So that's one side of things. Uh, immersion, in my opinion, still has like a massive way to go. So like people are quote unquote doing it, but like very few people are doing it successfully. And so I think there's like a massive amount of uh, fluid engineering that needs to go in in the space. And then eventually it's going to get there and you're going to see iterations over time. And I think a lot of it has to do on the chip level too. So having ASICs that are specifically manufactured uh, in small fashion, kind of the biggest frontier too is going to be on the, the PSUs, the power supply units for, for these ASICs. It's very archaic technology. And so there, there's massive uh, efficiencies that can be gained. Uh, just based on AC-DC voltage conversion. And so there's still, people conflate the fact that we have really high-tech computers with the fact that we only have two manufacturers. And so we're in this vacuum of a monopoly of like kind of like really low quality service. Uh, And I think as space continues to evolve, those iterations will come over time. Matt, this stuff is awesome. Really, really good to get your perspective on all this. I appreciate you hanging out today. If people want to learn more about what you're doing or what Kik is doing, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, you go to our website, gigenergy.com, uh, or they can find me on Twitter, at Lostro, L-O-H-S-T-R-O-H. Awesome. All right, Matt, thank you so much for, for hanging out. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Nathaniel.
All right, guys. Well, the thing that stands out to me from the conversation here is the idea that Bitcoin mining may be moving to a slightly different paradigm in which to compete, miners just have to be prepared to operate at lean times, not just boom times, due to the huge outlays and infrastructure required to get up and running. If that's really what we're seeing, it sort of presents a vision of long-term conviction, backed, of course, by money, that is fairly nice in an environment that is otherwise very, very stressful right now. Of course, there are still lots and lots of different interpretations about what's going on, but I want to say thanks again to Matt for joining the show, and hopefully we can have more conversations with other people in the mining space soon. For now, I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Circle, and Kraken for supporting the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.